On October 14th of 1983, American singer Cyndi Lauper released her debut studio album, She's So Unusual. Lauper's first band had broken up, she had filed for bankruptcy, and she was singing at a Japanese restaurant. Then, this debut album of razor-sharp dance pop became the very first by a female performer to score four top five hits. Welcome to the 500 Albums Podcast, where we go through the Rolling Stones' top 500 list of greatest albums of all time, as selected by a panel of musicians, music critics, and journalists, and published by Rolling Stone magazine in 2003. My name is Irvin, and today we are looking at number 486 on the list, She's So Unusual by Cyndi Lauper. Yeah, welcome back. We, uh... I've been on a little bit of a break, but luckily we're back again. And this time at a very special album, She's So Unusual by Cyndi Lauper. A very famous album for its hits, of course, but also a very good sign of the times of um, the MTV generation, you could say. And Cyndi Lauper as a musician is also very interesting as she has done much more than just sing, of course. So yeah, as always, we'll look at the artist first, then we'll look at the time surrounding the album, then we'll look at the album itself, how it was made, I'll talk about some of the songs on the album, and after that we'll look at the aftermath and what kind of impact it might have had uh, on other artists and the genre. So let's get into it. So who is the artist? Well... Cindy Lauper is an American, you could say new wave and synth pop singer, and she was born as Cynthia Ann Stephanie Lauper on June 22, 1953 in Brooklyn, New York. During her childhood, Lauper listened to a lot of music, um, especially artists like Ella Fitzgerald, Judy Garland and The Beatles. And this music inspired her, uh, and as she grew up most of her life in the neighborhood of Queens in New York City, she began writing her own songs when she was 12 years old. And she did this while playing the acoustic guitar that was given to her by her older sister. And as you might know uh, now of Cyndi Lauper, she has quite an expressive style. And this was also true during her childhood, because during this time, Lauper was known for her unique and eccentric style. For example, dyeing her hair in different colors, dressing in an extraordinary way, but also in the way that she spelled her name. Because she used the letter I at the end of her name rather than the usual Y. Now this is something small of course, but still it shows that she was already thinking about profiling herself and becoming herself. When she was 17, uh, Cindy left her home to escape her abusive stepfather and she also wanted to study art. She moved across the country and she stayed in different places and eventually she also stayed in Canada where she lived in or surrounding the woods with her dog for a couple of weeks. By the end of her trip she ended up in Johnson, Vermont and this is where she took some art classes at the Johnson State College. And to support herself during this time, she actually worked different kinds of jobs, including as a vocalist in various cover bands. 
And with these bands, she covered a variety of songs, including uh, artists like Janis Joplin, Bad Company, Jefferson Airplane, and Led Zeppelin. Quite a variety of music, of course. Now, after a few years, in 1977, she damaged her vocal cords from singing, and she was told that she was never able to sing again, or at least not in a professional way. But this did not stop her, however, from trying. And with the help of a vocal coach, Katie Agresta, she regained the ability to sing again in a year. And with the regained confidence and skill that she had, Law performed a new band with a saxophonist, John Turry, and she met him through her manager at the time. They formed a band and they called themselves Blue Angel. They recorded a demo tape that featured their very first original music, but I will get into that a little bit later. Since 1981, she actually started performing solo because of a few reasons, which I will get into. But during her career, she has released up to 11 studio albums now. Uh, she also wrote and composed a Broadway album. And she also recorded a few live albums and compilations. With her work, she has been awarded generously, winning multiple Grammys, an Emmy and a Tony Award, which is something also a lot of artists have not done yet. As I mentioned before, besides her work as a musician, Lauper is also known for her acting and writing in multiple movies, TV shows and theatre productions, including the Broadway musical Kinky Boots. And outside of all this entertainment work, she's also been a very outspoken activist for LGBT rights. This has led her to organize a special concert tour called True Colors, and based off of that, she's also formed a non-profit organization called True Colors United, which was formed in 2008. And with this organization, she works to end youth homelessness and focusing especially on the experiences of LGBT youth. It's a very interesting and, in my opinion, very good organization. And if you're interested in, uh, interested in learning more about this organization, and maybe even supporting them, you could check them out at truecolorsunited.org. Uh, I also put the link in the description if you want to check out. Now, let's get back into the music. Because as I mentioned, Cindy Lauper got her first shot at a professional music career with her band Blue Angel. As I said, she formed this with the saxophone player John Turry. And this was in the year 1978. Other band members uh, included Johnny Bullet Morelli on drums, Lee Brovitz on bass, and Arthur Rockin' A. Nelson on guitar. With this band, she had gone through different kind of musical styles, starting out playing rockabilly and R&B covers, but also slowly writing their own original material, their own music. As I said, they recorded their first demo tape, the manager of the Allman Brothers band at the time, Steve Mazarski, bought them a contract for $5,000 and took over their management as well. Now, through these years with this band, Lauper had received multiple record deals as a solo artist, but she refused as she wanted to be signed with the whole band instead. And this happened eventually in 1980, as they were signed to Polydor Records. 
and this is where they also released their self-titled debut album. Now this album featured mostly original tracks written by Lauper and Turi, and it was produced by Roy Haley. He was known for his work with Simon and Garfunkel especially. The album cover has given some recognition. Uh, Lauper herself admitted that she strongly disliked the cover of the album. Nevertheless, Rolling Stone magazine rated this album cover as one of the best new wave album covers of all time. This album received some critical acclaim, but it did not prove to be a great success commercially. And it went mostly under the radar in the United States. And the only track from that album that gained some attention was the song I'm Gonna Be Strong, which actually reached the number 37 in the top 40 in my home country, the Netherlands. And here's a bit of that music. So despite the failing success of this debut, the band went into the studio and went in to record a second album for Polydor Records. This album was never released however, because of a switch in the management at the label, they were dropped. And because they were dropped, the band had a falling out with their manager. And this same manager later sued them for $80,000. And this meant for the band that they had to split up and go their separate ways, sadly. So what was happening at the time that this album was released? Well, I've talked about this a little bit already in some previous episodes, especially about the episode about Public Enemy. Because the situation in New York City around this time, the early 80s, was pretty divisive, was pretty mixed. Because there was both optimism and also unruliness and tensions that were very apparent during these times in the city. Firstly, there was some optimism because there was an uptick in the local economy in the beginning of the decade. The economy is doing well, there were businesses coming to New York and there were plans to make the city better. But because of the efforts of the local governments and law enforcement, people were forced out of the inner city that they deemed not to belong there. And those people were pushed into crime and homelessness. This led to a lot of tensions, especially with some marginalized groups, which I talked about in the Public Enemy episode. But it also gave fuel to artists to rebel and speak out against the government and law enforcement. Now, if you look at a bit more thematic parallels within society at the time, the album has some themes of feminism. And in terms of the feminist movement at the time, the early 80s are generally seen as a time where second wave feminism came to an end. Because a lot of the goals that they had set at the time were met. However, there were still some goals that needed more attention. There were still issues going on, of course, and this also fueled the third wave of uh, feminism. But that really popped up a decade later. So this time, not a specific movement or specific wave of feminism that was active. Now, in terms of 
the music genre and what was happening at the time. Um, Cindy Lauper's music could be classified as new wave or new wave inspired pop music, synth pop, you could say. The mid to late 70s were definitely a time where new wave and punk rock bands in New York City came to prominence. Because you had bands, punk bands such as the Ramones, but also a bit more new wave bands like Blondie and Talking Heads that gained massive popularity in the city. And they all had their roots in different clubs and venues, especially the New York venue CBGB. However, at this time, the early 80s, these bands had gone to the mainstream and the smaller venues had made place for hardcore punk bands. And as I said, it doesn't mean that the new wave had gone away, as it inspired also Cindy, of course, but it also made its way into influencing pop music at the time. And this influence could be especially noticed at the new TV channel, MTV, which played music videos. And this channel was launched in 1981, and it regularly played electronic-inspired music, new wave-inspired music, uh, also synth-pop, as I talked about in the Eurythmics episode. And in just a couple months' time after its release, MTV already turned out to be very influential on record sales and on the popularity of specific artists. And depending on which music videos were shown at the channel, those artists gained more recognition, they sold more records, they were able to play bigger shows. And this turned out to be very true also for Cindy's music, as I will get into a bit later. Because let's talk about the album. First I want to start out how she got to be a solo artist and what led her to make this record. Because after Lauper split with her band Blue Angel, she was forced into bankruptcy because of the lawsuit. And during this time she also once again started having trouble singing and lost her voice due to assist on her vocal cord. But she still had to pay the debt. And because of these financial problems, Lauper spent time working at different retail stores and as a waitress. And as she worked there for a while, she slowly started gaining her voice back. And at those waiting jobs, she also sang sometimes at local clubs. And as I said in the intro, at a Japanese restaurant as well. And the critics had also not forgotten about Lauper. Because even though the limited commercial success of Blue Angel, she was still known critically as to be a good singer. And this led to her being spotted in 1981 at a New York club by David Wolf. Now David Wolf saw the potential in her and he became her new manager. And with his help, she got a few offers once again to record a solo record. And she did eventually sign a deal with Portrait Records. And this is how she got started to work on her first debut album. The album we're talking about today, She's So Unusual. And she started recording in December of 1982. She started laying down some tracks uh, in the winter and then in the spring of 1983 at Record Plant Studios in New York City, she finished the record. Now because of her previous record with the band and the multiple offers that she had gotten, 
Lopper did feel like there was a certain expectation for this record. But she later said that in hindsight it was not a bad thing necessarily. Because when going into the studio, Lopper had a very clear idea of how she wanted to record her record and what it should sound like. But when she went into the studio, she soon found out that her ideas weren't welcomed as much. And rather than that, she was presented with songs that she had to sing. But she didn't necessarily want to or not in that specific way. And after some struggles in the beginning with that, some boundaries were set. And it became clear that Cindy had good ideas and that she could contribute very well to her own record. Which is not weird, of course. And she became more respected in the writing process and the band and the producer saw that she had a lot of potential. And this saw for smooth proceedings after. And Lauper later did an interview with Time magazine and she recalled her experience working on the album as follows. Quote, I was allowed to be the artist I wanted to be, to sound like, to look like, etc. It wasn't 100% what I wanted. I was only allowed to contribute a few songs that I had written, but the sound and the covers and the videos we made, I was left alone to create those and that was really cool." End quote. Now while making the record, Lauper was mainly produced by Rick Chertoff, or Chertoff uh, and he had previously worked on different remixes and soundtracks mostly. Uh, and he would later play a bigger role in the success of the band The Hooters, the band he was working with already. And some of those members also played on this record, especially Rob Hyman and Eric Bazilian. Because with those band members and producer, they arranged and written several tracks together. And other notable performers on this album uh, were Richard Termini, Neil Jason and Anton Fig. Another noteworthy thing about not necessarily directed to the music is the cover. Because the artwork is very iconic and it was made by Annie Leibovitz. It features a photograph of Lauper on Henderson Walk at Coney Island, also in New York. And Lauper later described making and picking the album cover in a behind the scenes video. There were several shots we fought over. and. One was me just holding my dress up a little, you know. It looks like it wasn't me. This was more energy and forceful. So we, we, we had these two different shots. One, the album cover as it is now, and this other picture of me kind of standing there holding my dress up. A little Linda Ronstadt for me. I love Linda Ronstadt. I think she's awesome. But that wasn't what I was trying to portray. We were at a meeting, and I looked at Lenny and said, I love you, Lenny, but everybody under 30 likes this, and everybody over 30 likes that, which was the more passive one. So he looked at me and said, okay. So we went with that album cover, which to me has energy, has the primary colors, has the sunlight of the South American picture that I first saw that I wanted midday light. So it has all the brightness and all the street cred, you know, between Janet Perra and myself that you could have. And I think that from the cover down to the little wobbles or anything that's on that album, it came out like it was supposed to. 
Now, musically, the album is often described as quite diverse in style, combining elements of pop, new wave, dance, reggae, funk, and even punk. And once again, this unique and diverse sound was no accident and clearly envisioned by Lauper and the band. Compared to her previous record with Blue Angel, there was more outside involvement, both as a way to have more influences from different genres, but also to be more commercially appealing. Still, Lauper believed that she had the room to let her own influences be heard. And this also shows on the songs that are on the album, because She's So Unusual features a few covers from artists such as Prince, The Brains, Jules Shear, and Michael Rickford. And even though they are covers, Lauper managed to put her own twist, her own spin on these songs, usually adding certain instrumentation, like guitars and synths. Some of these original artists even endorsed these new versions by performing them together with Cindy. It would be remiss to not talk about another very important part of this album and just any kind of music made by Cindy, which is of course her iconic voice, her vocals. And as journalist Stephen Thomas Erlewine from All Music puts it, quote, an artist that's far more clever than her thin, deliberately girly voice would indicate. Lauper's voice suits her musical persona, since its chirpiness adds depth or reconfigures the songs whether it's a call to arms or a tearjerk. And with that, let's look at some of the tracks on the album. And it's not easy to pick which songs to talk about. Uh, I'd love to talk about all of them, but uh, I want to limit it just a little bit. And we'll do that by looking at those charting singles that made this album such a milestone. And these are the charting singles that really were important in establishing Cindy Lauper's status and career to make it what it is right now. And we'll do that by starting off with maybe her most recognizable and iconic song. And definitely the song that I first got to know her from, which is of course the anthem, Girls Just Wanna Have Fun. And this song was actually originally written and recorded by Robert Hazar in 1979. But this song, this version, was never officially released, or at least not before this track by Cindy. And this song was brought to Lauper by producer Lenny Petsy, who insisted she would record her own version of it. And Lauper was hesitant at first though, because it was originally written from a man's perspective, but Lauper saw an opportunity to really make it her own and turn it into a song of empowerment. And she did this by taking inspiration from artists like Elvis Costello and Buddy Holly, and she rearranged the song in her own way. Now, we might now see this as one of the biggest hits ever. If we think of the 80s, this is definitely one of the songs you would think of immediately. But... It was actually not a big success at first, but her manager, David Wolf, found a way that she could promote herself and the song at WWF wrestling matches. And she even incorporated this more by having the wrestler Captain Lou appear in the music video of the song. You should definitely check out this music video if you have not seen it or if it's been a while, because it's quite ridiculous, 
And that's why it also got picked up by MTV. And as I said, MTV was a very big part in making songs a success. Because when it got picked up there, it started rising in the charts and eventually peaked at number 2 in the Billboard Hot 100. And to this day, this song remains an anthem for women empowerment and is often seen as one of Lauper's most iconic songs. Now the following track I'm going to talk about is a very timeless ballad. Maybe the next song in terms of popularity or notoriety, which is Time After Time. And this track was named after a 1979 science fiction movie that Lopper saw in a TV guide. Something you might not really think about when you hear this song. Now this song she wrote together and is an original, uh, together with Rob Hyman, one of the band members I talked about. And this song came to be somewhat later in the album Sessions. Because Lauper was somewhat frustrated that she wasn't able to contribute much of her own songs yet, she decided, by the recommendation of the producer, to write it together with her bandmate. Now the song started out on piano and it reflected Hyman and Lauper's experience with past relationships that fell apart. The label really enjoyed this song and saw the potential of a successful hit. And they tried to push the track as the leading single of the album. But Lauper refused this to be the very first single because she believed it would define her as a balladeer. This is an artist that only sings those piano ballads and would take away the chance of getting any other successful type of song. Now, the label was right, I must say, because when Time After Time was released, it was a smashing success and it became number one on the Billboard Hot 100. The second hand Now the next track on the album was quite controversial at the time. But it was successful either way. Maybe because it was so controversial. Because the song I'm of course talking about is Shebop. And this track was also co-written by Lauper. But this time with Steve Lunt from the band City Boy. And I mentioned this track is, was controversial at the time. And this is because of its lyrics. Lopper wanted to write a song that could be interpreted on different levels. First of all, there's the, as they say, bebop, alubop. And it could just be interpreted as happily dancing. But 
If you look a bit further into the lyrics, it is clear that this song is about something completely different, namely masturbation. It is not mentioned as literal, however, but if you read between the lines, you can definitely see it. But because it was not as literal, it was avoided being censored on radio and MTV, and thus still being a big success. But as soon as people started figuring out what the subject matter really was, Cindy was heavily questioned, and she eventually admitted it was about masturbation. Now, this led to the song being included on the Filthy 15 list from the Parents Music Resource Center, might know the stickers of Parental Advisory, but this did not stop it from being a big success because this even made it more popular to play and buy this record. To stir up this discussion even further, Lauper later mentioned in an interview that she recorded this song while she was naked. Whether that's true or not is not confirmed, but either way the song was a big success. And it eventually charted or peaked at number 3 on the Billboard Hot 100, becoming her third consecutive top 5 hit. song by the way great music and even though the lyrics might be questionable it's fantastic now the final track i want to hit upon is also the next track on the album and this was the fourth top five hit of this album and thus making it a record and this song is all through the night this song was originally written and performed by the artist jules Shear. he wrote this song for his own 1983 album watchdog now the original was much more of a folk pop song and its melody reminded Lauper very much of the Beatles, which is maybe why she picked to do this track. This song was one of the very first that was recorded for the album and it started out very close to the original with an acoustic arrangement. But later on Lauper changed her mind and decided to make it a bit more of her own. And this turned the track into more of a pop ballad with an emphasis on the synthesizers. And Jules Shear, the original writer, liked her cover so much that he even offered to sing backing vocals on the song. By the time the single for this song was released, Lauper was very busy with her tour. And she was unable to record a music video. This did not really seem to matter, however, because this song was still very successful. And it set the record for Lauper being the very first female artist to score four top five hits from one single album.
So what happened after? Well, She's So Unusual was released on October 14th of 1983. And in the wake of the success of the single Girls Just Wanna Have Fun, the album became a great commercial and critical success. And over the course of time, the album went platinum six times. It peaked at number four on the Billboard 200 charts. And as I mentioned before, the album spawned four top five singles, a first for any female artist at the time. Now, besides the success in the charts, the album and its tracks have also been nominated or have won even some, uh, some awards, including the Grammy Award for Best New Artist, Album of the Year, and Record of the Year, all Grammy Awards, and also several MTV Video Music Awards. All in all, the album was very well received, and also in retrospect, people look fondly at this album. Rolling Stone magazine wrote the following about the album a year later, quote, Cindy Lauper sounds like no other singer on the current scene. She may be the finest female junk rock vocalist since the heyday of the great Maureen Gray, more than 20 years ago. Lauper has a wild and wonderful skyrocket of a voice, and at her best she often is on the smartly produced solo debut. She sounds like a missing musical link with that long gone golden age." End quote. Now after the release of the album, Cyndi Lauper went on the very successful Fun Tour, and this is where she became a very big star, and she also got well known for her performances. This led her to being invited on a collaboration on different projects, most notably the Use for Africa single We Are The World, where she also got a solo part, but she also worked on the soundtrack of the movie The Goonies. She sang the song Goonies Are Good Enough, which also became a very successful single, and it was actually put on the album as a Japanese bonus track later on. After all the success and the tour, Sandy Lauper went into the studio to record the follow-up album True Colors. And this album was also released in October, but this time in 1986. This once again proved to be a very commercial success, but not achieving the same amount of success as the previous album did. Now around this time, Lauper also explored different avenues, including acting, and she appeared in several movies and TV shows, further expanding this in the 90s. During this time, Cindy also continued making music, but never really found the same success as her first two albums. Now, as I mentioned before, throughout her career, Lauper has also become more involved with activism, especially for LGBT rights. And she set up the True Colors tour in 2007 and 2008. And together with Debbie Harry and Erasure, she went on tour to support several foundations and advocacy groups, including the Human Rights Campaign. This tour inspired Lauper to do more for the advocacy of LGBT rights and thus she co-founded the non-profit organization True Colors United. Now beside this activism and her solo career, Lauper has also done work for theater shows. And the most notable one of this is the Broadway show Kinky Boots. This musical is based on a movie of the same name, but its music and lyrics of this um, show were written by Cindy Lauper. And like pretty much everything that Lauper touches, it became a big success, beat out a lot of musicals that were more favorable for a Tony of Best Original Score in 2013 and became also a very big box office success. 
With all of Lauper's great artistry, it's pretty safe to say that she has been one of the most influential and successful singers. And as music critic Stephen Thomas Erlewine once wrote about She's So Unusual and also Lauper's style, quote, Lauper helped popularize the image of punk and new wave for America, making it an acceptable part of the pop landscape, end quote. Now, besides her artistry, also some themes that were explored on this album have, in retrospect, been lauded by critics, including the now-turned-feminist anthem Girls Just Wanna Have Fun, but also the more playful she-bop. Now, in terms of musical influence, many artists, uh, and especially other women in rock and pop genres, have claimed to be influenced by Lauper. Some of these include just big pop singers like Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, but also the duo Tegan and Sarah. And with that, we conclude this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I know it's been a while since a new episode was released. It was very busy, but I have seen that you guys are still listening and I really appreciate that. And if you want to stay up to date, when a new episode comes out, you can subscribe on any platform. You can tell your friends about this podcast if you like it. You can also rate the podcast in the uh, in some apps. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at 500albumspod. If you have any questions or if you have any favorite tracks, any albums you want me to listen to, any suggestions, you can always send me an email to 500albumspod at gmail.com. And then I'll see you next week where we'll be looking at album number 485, which is That's the Way of the World by Earth, Wind and Fire. So make sure to listen to that album, and I'll see you then. Bye.